Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. Now, uh, the Food Festival of Savour uh, launches today in Kilkenny and it features an all-star cast of Ireland's leading foodies, Aaron Capill, uh, a.k.a. the Spice Guru, as part of the lineup. Aaron's journey from the north of England to Cork, though, has had, had many interesting stops along the way. Aaron, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Sean. Uh, lovely to meet you. You too. Uh, so you, it, did you grow up like now, your dad's from India, your mother's a Yorkshire woman. Yorkshire, not English. Good definition. Oh, exactly. yeah, I know, yeah, I, I, I understand <laughs> that. I've made that mistake before. And so did you, your early days, would it have been in Yorkshire? Yeah, no, so I kind of grew up in Lincolnshire and went right. to school in Northamptonshire. And then yeah. when I left Northamptonshire, so I was in London. So by the age of 18, I was in London. And yeah, that's how I started my company at 18 and a bit. Right, OK. Growing up, though, in those days? It was fantastic, but I, I, I was married to a... Uh, a brown man. Oh, my, my father was married to a brown man, sort of thing, and in English. So Enoch Powell, Rivers of Blood. So it was a bit kind of. It was. It was okay. Yeah. But it was. Uh, I think that's why Dad sent us away to school, just to have that sort of maybe people have a bit more of an open mind and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But look, it was a fantastic upbringing. I loved yeah. it. It was brilliant. Sure. But were you aware of that when you when you were young? A bit. Only uh, kind of, but not to dwell too much. But like, mm. um, yeah, you, you kind of get called names and stuff like that. But that's okay. You, know, you kind of. It just makes. No, it's not. <laughs> not you know. You, <laughs> well, you kind of look in on yourself as a family. We were told that we were to be proud of who we are and to be mm. different is a good thing and live your own life and strive and do work hard and you'll achieve anything you want. And so I think that's how mum and dad kind of brought us up to be. You know, it's a family of love yeah. and, yeah, very liberal sort of upbringing. So, no, we're really fortunate, basically. Yeah, and, and w- w- when you were a child at home, like, who did most of the cooking? Uh, do you know what? It was really well... I'd say mum. Mum did most of the cooking. But dad, you see, because when he left India, it was like a real thing for a Hindu man to be cooking. But his, he was like the youngest of seven. So his sisters taught him how to cook three dishes, like a, a Bombay potato dish, a chana masala, and a vegetable curry. So he'd always be able to sustain himself and survive and all that kind of stuff. So, no, my dad was uh, a big cook. He really enjoyed cooking. And he, dad was with the flair, you know, throwing the spices in, whereas mum was good housekeeping guides and yeah. was cutting out all the recipes and into her scrapbook. It was just fantastic. So, yeah, mum was baking and real recipe-driven, and dad was a bit more sort of, hey, let's give it a go sort of thing. Yeah, and did they take turns cooking, or did they ever combine their No, combined, combining, but that was fun. It's rather like me and my wife, Olive. It's kind of like put two of us in a kitchen. It's kind of... You do it this way. No, you do it this way. No, you do it this way. <laughs> and then Olive's yeah. constant. I'm looking around and everything's getting clean. So my mum was a bit like that with dad. Yeah. 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 That's the same in my house as well. Yeah. If, if she's cooking, it's why are you standing there? Correct. If I'm like, cooking, please leave. Yes. Just going. <laughs> Is that the way you're doing it? Do you know you know? <laughs> no, it's precisely no, that. Yeah, that's yeah. A, divorce that, uh, lies that way. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, you went to boarding school. Mm. What did your parents want you to do? Well, I was going to be a doctor, right, Sean? Of course you were. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was, was going to do all this. I, look, I wasn't very good. I, of course, I can read, but I was not very studious. I was more keen to be out playing rugby or hockey. I was in the National Youth Music Theatre, so I was on stage and all that kind of stuff. So I was supposed to go off and be a doctor, and, and that was... A great line of work, because I was going to follow my dad and everything. So that's where I thought I was going to go, but it didn't quite work out that way. Do you, do you remember having a conversation with them and saying... Do you know what? It was all... Well, you see, I suppose because, you know, mum being a very driven Yorkshire woman and dad being a very driven sort of Indian man, he's, yes, he's a doctor, but he started up a business as well in the UK. So I think we were kind of driven, I think, is probably the thing. Yes, creatively as well. So, yeah, I was supposed to be... You go to that school and you're supposed to go... I, look, I had three interviews in the city at the, the, the day that I actually got my first job in a restaurant. 
and um, I couldn't, you know, oil trading companies. I can't imagine now being an oil trader, but that's kind of where I was going, either that mm. or a doctor sort of thing. So. Yeah, okay, so you, you got your first job in a restaurant, but that wasn't your end game at the time. No, so I got the restaurant, and then that was my introduction into London, and it's just like the coolest restaurant. It was like a Cajun Creole place. So it was learning about London life, and you're getting taken out to all the nightclubs with all the guys, and you know, living a, that sort of hedonistic sort of, you're starting off and not sleeping and everything and waiting the next day. No, I got into the music industry. So I formed my first record label at the age of 18. And um, I was the first person to take a DJ out the field and into a studio. So I was involved in the acid rave scene. Yeah, I'm yeah, probably so too old now. But... How, how does that happen, though? You're <laughs> just going to go, I'll set up a, a record company. Or, you know, had yeah. you met people? Had you come? No, you know, you just kind of roll onto things. It's just, I've just been very fortunate. No, you don't. <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I know you bump into people and things yeah. happen and at the restaurants and then you start chatting and you're going out for drinks with people. And then you have a little idea. And how do you get the idea to happen? So you make a couple of phone calls. And, yeah, before I knew it, I was in a studio. And then from being in a studio out in the fields and I thought well hang on a minute if I'm in a recording studio working with some guys and at the weekends I'm out partying or helping the guys put the parties on why don't I combine the two together and I thought well look if everyone's back in the days remember pages yeah so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so everyone used to have a page they used to be cool Do you know yeah. what I mean? yeah. but to have a page was the thing right so um yeah they'll be lining up on the m25 which is the big road that goes around london and waiting for the pager to click and then they'd be zooming off to some field in the middle of nowhere to some farm that we'd uh, hired or something mm. and um <laughs> i noticed the wink when you heard that <laughs> so <laughs> so we put on the parties and i thought well hang on a minute if everyone's lining up and they're spending their hard-earned money going god knows where just to dance all night why don't i take the person is in the field that they're going to see out of the field and put him in a studio and no and i launched this album and apparently it's called the most credible street album of the of the decade so yeah so what was the go. album called uh, no here's a yeah exactly uk djs rhythms from within so okay. it wasn't exactly a snappy title no but it was true. <laughs> that's true yeah but, um, and and so from there then that became your focus uh, uh, for music was, was it it was club music no club music and i never before i'd always I'd been in a band at school and it was rock socks i was always into the, the cult and stuff mm. you know the kind of rock music but no dance music became the thing when we ended up running sort of clubs in ibiza clubs in london and i ended up finding a couple of well-known bands that people have heard of and no, just living a bit of a mad... Let's mad, go back. Yeah. Well-known bands people will have heard of. Well, I don't know, Sugar Babes and All Saints. And the last one I did was The Streets. But look, that was a yeah. long time ago. Okay, but... well, how, how does that... Ha because that's kind of a, a slightly different direction but in the see, sense that it's not just DJs. These are, these are bands. Yeah, well, that's right. But you see, um, you know yourself, you're getting involved in the scene and all of a sudden you have this album out and then it does quite well and then you're looking for your next single so you start to talk to other people and that was when white labels were going around so you'd be literally going around to all the record shops in Soho dropping off your white labels to sort of make it the thing mm. and you're just bumping into people all the time and just that was the whole beauty of, of London in the 90s it was such community and that's what I kind of missed towards the end of my time in London and it was just one big party we all felt like we were one big family we all felt like we were sticking it to the man and all that kind of stuff yeah. you know I mean? so did you like own the sugar baby? for a while uh, well, oh, I, was, we, I was part of the team um, yeah. but yeah I found them with Ron Tom Ron Tom, uh, Ron Tom is, you think I'm well Ron Tom is a really mad guy fantastic guy so yeah part of the team there and then we ended up look I cut my teeth with um, uh, people that ran the sort of bands like Dire Straits and uh, Rolling Stone so I learnt the music industry from some really cool people and um, yeah yeah, and how, uh, the streets, how did that happen? That was through, more through, but we ended up, oh, God, we, I don't know where, I ended up, I was, oh, how do I say this? I, I ended up, um, I bought in the first net-net receipt deal. 
So for an artist, I was following the American model. What, what does that mean? So it sounds great, doesn't it? I'm like, Sean, I'm going to offer you a contract, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it tastes like this. You're going to get 50% of all the profits. And you go, wow, 50% of yeah. all the profits, brilliant. And that was on the point when it was all the point system, royalty system. So to get 50% of the profits is fantastic. But look, this is why I left the music industry as well, because 50% of the profits, well, you have to have a profit to get 50% or something, Mm. right? So, of course, we were sticking every single expense that you could possibly put. So all of a sudden, what's the profit? So so we introduced that deal, and it was through the solicitors that I pushed this deal through that I met met Mike Skinner. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, and so then your involvement with that, that first album, which was enormous... Yeah, so you introduce, just basically, I became, by that stage, I become, I was on the way out sort of thing, so I wanted to be leaving, so it's just making connections, so with producers and stuff, like, for example, one of the best producers ever, and God rest his soul, John Benson, you may have um, Mm. heard The Beaches by All Saints, so he was the vocal genius, the harmony genius, and to be in a studio with that guy was just phenomenal, and um, so it's just meeting wonderful people like that, and then just sort of putting things together. Rather like I could do with spices now. Right. Okay. So, and, but uh, when you uh, when you say you were on your way out, was there a, a process where you maybe you were becoming disillusioned or yeah. tired or old? You know, yeah. <laughs> old, yeah. old is. Hang on. I was thirty two years old, and I kind of realised, gosh, you know, to be quite right. You know, yeah. I know, pushing it. So um, no. So look, you, you've kind of. I'd lived a really cool life and really enjoyed myself, but then you start to realise that not everything is, you know, quite as it should be. I was brought up, like I said, in a really loving, liberal upbringing. My Hindu father, my Yorkshire mum, and there I was in London doing virtually the exact opposite of everything I'd done in my childhood. And so you kind of realise that, oh, gosh, I want a bit more from this, and and there must be more to it than just money and and just the pursuit, sorry, of money rather than necessarily having it because there were highs and there were massive lows as well. Mm. You lose friends along the way because there's a lot of nonsense involved in the acid rave scene and all that. So you then start to build this up and you think, oh, my God, what am I playing at? So, um, so yeah, 32, I found and thought I'd better leave. But because I was, thank gosh, quite successful, I had to sign a contract to say, if you're going, mate, I'm going. So I had to sign a contract for two years to say that I wouldn't get back into the industry. So I thought, well, what the heck am I going to do for Christ, two years? So who made you, like, somebody bought you it's out? The team that, yeah, yeah, it's the team that I work with, kind of thing. Yeah, because yeah, you work with, like I say, it's all a network. So you kind of mm. work with, um, you could call it a management company if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... Okay, I will then. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So, <laughs> so, yeah, no, so management company. So I had to sign this thing, and therefore I kind of was wondering what to do for a couple of years, basically. Right, okay, yeah. but... In the back of your head was it was food an idea? It was Obviously always being part of your yeah upbringing. because being part of my upbringing, like I say, with mum and dad. But then being on the restaurant scene as the first job I ever had, um, kind of managing a restaurant and everything, and then getting to know all the chefs. And my brother then worked in the next place next door. You may have heard of Conran's place in Babendum. Mm. So I, he was working in Babendum. I was working just down the road in, in this Cajun Creole place, and it was just fantastic fun. And we thought, my God, we really want to get into the food industry somehow, someday. And yeah, so there's always something in the back of my mind, kind of, I knew I would be doing something one day, but didn't know what. But given where you were living, Mm. and given outside of India, it's the Indian food capital of the world, you thought, I know, Cork. Precisely. (laughs) No, look, the only only connection I had to Ireland was that um, my my birthday is the 17th of March. (laughs) That's flimsy, but it's good enough. (laughs) But no, but as it turns out, then my great-grandfather was a... um, not a housekeeper, a gardener, a right. landscape guy um, up in the north of Ireland. So apparently he lived there before going... So Carter is my surname, sorry. My mum's surname. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I just... Um, a friend had done the cookery course down in Banamaloo a couple of years before. He's now kind of doing really well for himself and all that kind of stuff. So he said to me, well, look, Aaron, you really enjoy cooking. Why don't you come to my restaurant for a bit? 
There was a really quite cool restaurant called The Ledbury um, in London, so I did a bit of a stage there, did a few months there, and a few other places that my friends had as well, That you know, because you kind of, like I say, you networked and everything. So I worked a few restaurants in London, and I had to keep putting off coming to the course. I remember the poor old lady that kept picking up the phone. I was there for about a year and a half because I was trying to leave the industry, couldn't leave. And, uh, mm. Yeah, I'm coming this season, I'm coming this season. So anyway, finally managed to get over here, yeah. Yeah, and it was it there you met Olive? That was where I met the wonderful Olive, yeah, yeah. my colleague Das. No, it was like... Um, so I came to Ireland. I, I literally um, uh, uh, didn't know anything about it and was ending up in this sort of uh, uh, damp cottage sharing a room with another guy, something I hadn't done since being at school and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, no, Oliver's working up at the house, so she was from Gary... She is, well, she is from Gary Vaux, lived in Ballycotton and worked at um, Adam Lou House. And, you know, there's only kind of one pub in the area back then and only a couple of pubs now sort of thing. So you go to the pub, you bump into each other, and we used to go to the house occasionally with friends that were on the course, and I saw this woman, and I just, oh, okay, hello. Uh, so, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and how long had you been together when you decided you were going to live there? Well, yeah, so I finished the course, went back to London, packed a bag, and four days later I was working in the kitchens at Ballymaloo, not really having a clue what I was going to get up to. Wow. So, um, how did Olive feel about that? Well, was, was she cool with this? She, or she, she was watching... she, Creepy stalker vibe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Well, quite no, quite the opposite. Who would admit to this? Yeah, because I was working in the kitchen, and the Cork accent I couldn't understand at the best. And there I was in the kitchen, which is this really, you know, everything sort of vibrates around, and it's really clanky. And I was on veg prep because you start in the kitchen, you start at the bottom. So prepping veg, you know, for six months, chopping carrots, chopping potatoes, and the guys would come up to me, give some instructions, and I, they just thought I was either really dumb or just really happy. And I, I was really happy being there, but I had a big smile because I would just nod and go, yeah, yeah, yeah keep chopping because I couldn't. That's anything I was saying. So, but this woman, this, this, this receptionist, this lady, Olive, used to come into the kitchen all the time. And I remember sometime the head chef, Rory O'Connell, back then, who's now on you know, the, mm. his own TV. Rory's a fantastic guy. And Rory would say, oh, Olive, funny seeing you here again. And I just didn't cotton on, you know. But Olive would be walking in and out, in and out, like two or three times every shift. And I just thought that was normal because I didn't just started, right? Mm. But no, it turns out she sort of, I had turned her eye, so yeah. Okay, and did she occasionally whisper in your ear what somebody had just said to you? Were you like translating? <laughs> that would have been handy. <laughs> Trying to keep me on track. <laughs> yeah. She was very helpful. No, no, absolutely. She helped me out. She really did. Yeah, and, and then you never went back then after that? No, never went back. So um, what, what I, there's, one, there's one little story that I can tell you something. So what it is, um, I want, was off, off one time and I was having a couple of pints in the local pub on a Sunday and I just went down to the pier in Ballycotton and Olive drove by because she lived down there somewhere. And we started to chat because, oh, hello. Sort of thing, yeah. you know? And um, we're chatting away. And she turned around to me and I was blah, 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 gabbling on, as you can probably imagine. And she, was, uh, she said, Aaron, do you know what you need in your life? And I said, sort of, uh, no, simplicity. And I thought, flipping egg. I've never, all the, not mm. all, that sounds terrible, all the, all the young ladies you got to know in whatever you were doing in the industry, but for this one really cool, just, just to just nail it on the head in one sentence, was like, oh my God. And for me, it was the sort of seminal moment. I thought, I really like her. Yeah. Just because, you know, someone being real with me at long last and just yeah. copping me on and slapped me around and cop yourself on, Aaron, who do you think you are? So. And, and was that the point from which you, you were doing a line, which means something completely different from your looking yeah. <laughs> I was... <laughs> Um, what was that (laughs) that when you started going out flashback yeah Um, yeah no cool it was yeah Yeah. because we'd we'd um, end up in the in the the, um, the Blackbird in in Ballycotton and all that sort of stuff and then yeah no and I was working in the kitchen it's whilst I was working in the kitchen and all of helped me out that I started to really miss spices basically so yeah and once you start to get attracted to a young lady you start to think oh my gosh and then it wasn't long before we got married I think maybe two years or so 
And once you got married, it's like, oh, God, I better start earning some money now. What am I going to do for money? Mm. And, and that's how it all kept snowballing. No, and, at, and at the moment, like, you import your, uh, your own spices. Yeah, so that's the kind of thing. So I'd done the cookery course. And so rather than just going down Musgraves and all these sort of bits and pieces or wherever to buy my spices... I called my dad. My dad put me in touch with my cousin. My cousin put me in touch with this person, that person. And within three years, we were sourcing our spices direct back to farm, which is kind of unheard of, and leveraging cultural heritage and all those kind of phrases. So, yeah, we were getting spices direct from farms from day one. Uh, that would have been now back in 2007, 2008. Uh, and all of a sudden now it's become very hip, and it's called sustainability, and it's called fair trade and all mm. that kind of stuff, whereas we are putting our cash in the hands of the subpanches the heads of the villages, so I know where my money's going. I know the boys are getting fed. I know we're looking after their villages. We're putting in solar projects and water projects. So, mm. yeah, it's just fantastic. And the communities where you buy the spices mm. from, that, like, are, you know, is there, you, do you have to go to different places to try out different spices? Oh, you're or very or how does that work? No, no, bang on. You're absolutely right. So India, massive country, and each different region of India kind of grows different spices. It's like I was taught by Myrtle Allen, fantastic woman. If it grows together, it eats together. So you could basically say to the north of India, you've got your harder spices, your cumins, your corianders, your fennel seeds, those kind of things. And as you go down to the south of India, you get near the equator, and nearer the equator, more sunny. And you get the more beautiful perfume spices, the mace, the nutmeg, the green cardamoms, the cassia, the cinnamon, gorgeous perfume spices. So yeah, essentially, that's how it works out. And then to the east and the west, um, different spices as well. So as we've now developed, we kind of focus into the west, which is Karyantsa, Rajasthan and Gujarat. Um, we, um, it's cumin, coriander, fennel. And we work with Karnataka as well, which is on the west coast, Malabar coast, and with a lot of black pepper. So, yeah, and Nizamabad, so I could go on forever. But, yeah, yeah so from different regions was where we collect our different spices. We invested, uh, we got a partner over in uh, Mumbai, 140-year-old spice company. So I'm investing in their, we've invested in their new side of their business, which is all about sustainability and direct back to farms, SEDEX verification and all these kind of mm. um, funky phrases. It basically says we're working with farmers. Yes, but uh, presumably you've gone over and you've had to kind of Do you know, sample them and taste them. Wasn't there a story you had to take some sort of magic mushroom spice <laughs> oh or something? God, I just, just I to you've be done, you've, done the reading, you've done the reading very well, no. But to go back to what you're saying, uh, uh, right my, from my upbringing, finally to sort of bring my cultural heritage together. Yeah. And so I went to this school, so I got a good, really good Western education, but I happened to have the really um, fortunate to have this Eastern and sort of um, heritage. So it was putting the two together. No, you're bang on. And so um, it was leveraging that that sort of got us to where we were. But I think what you're referring to, sir, is when we went to Gujarat. So Gujarat is a, is a, is a region that's very close to the Pakistan border. Um, and it's uh, um, through their um, madness lies. But no, through there is where like, Afghanistan and all these sort of bits mm. and pieces. So yeah, so it's just a tradition that when you, you go and you meet the farmers there, that you sit down and you have a chai, your you know, spiced tea, and you get given these little, what looks like a black version of Kendall mint cake. And you have a little chomper and you go, oh, this is really lovely, what's this? And they go, opium. They go, oh, okay. <laughs> but it's there it is, it's 50 degrees, and the guys are working in 50 degrees, so I suppose, look, and it's absolutely legitimate, it's a cultural thing, it's not a... You yeah. know, it's, I think I could be saying this on the... On the yeah. <laughs> I get myself busted now, the guard turn up. But no, it's, um, it's just a cultural thing. Yeah. 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 That's that, uh, yeah. And, it, like, for, for a Western palate, though... Are, are, are you, do you still have a kind of a job or work to do to convince people and say, you know, I, I kind of Westerners would tend to say, sure, that's just hot, you know, rather you know, than being able to delineate between different spots. No, you see, you're bang on, but you see, that's a beautiful thing with Ireland. It's like when I started the farmer's markets, they'll be coming up to me and say, oh, is that strong? Is that strong? 
first year or so, I didn't really know what strong meant. And now, clearly, I know, is it hot? Yeah. But the great thing is, um, there's a willingness to learn here. I think if I'd been in the UK, which has a spice her- heritage, a spice history, maybe I wouldn't have been given the chance. But here, you see a guy with a pink sarong on, with all these curry smells coming out from his stall, and you know, dancing away to Bangra music, and you think, who the flip is that? Yeah. Who's your man, sort of thing. <laughs> so there's a curiosity. And yeah, and because our spices are so fresh and my blends are based upon family recipes, I think it stands to it. And so what we're offering in terms of our brand is an Indian range. But I'm talking my sort of mission in life, and what I really want to do is encourage everyone to be able to taste the beauty that is fresh spice. I think food is a commodity, and commodities should never be, should never be closed. It shouldn't be about... Um, Elitism, mm. food, um, food particularly, should be available to everybody. And that's my mission, is to how to make really healthy, delicious food. And my part of that world is adding spice to food to keep an interest in food, to tweak it, to twist it, to a bit of, bit of um, vibrancy, a bit of something different to food. Mm. So spices, to me, are all about beautiful... Well, they're the fundament of natural flavour, um, rather than just something that's hot. Yeah, pepper, ginger, chilli, they're hot. Spices are all about beautiful flavour and how you can twist and turn and that's what I enjoy is, is that sort of mad scientist bit working away in my little spine, uh, 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 spice hub just coming up with different blends all the time to bring out the nuance of different flavours yeah. of food and stuff and also Indian food what we think of as Indian food mm. What is it? Some, well, yes, yeah. in, in the sense that it, it's, it's spread out across the road, and there's things we go, well, that's an Indian, but that was invented in London, or that kind of thing. Uh, you see, exactly, that, that's, a, that's a very good point. And it's like, you talk to any Indian, and you'll get a different opinion, but the, my opinion is, Indian food essentially comes from either, either one of three places. It comes from the street, it comes from the home, or it comes from the, the Maharaj palaces. So from the home, it's really simple, because people don't have money. Mm. So to buy cumin, people can't afford cumin in India. If they can buy turmeric, it's fantastic. So turmeric, which has natural health benefits, is used as prevalent in so many dishes. But then to start to scale up and to use many more different spices, not every household could have afforded that. So the history of um, Indian uh, home cooking is really simple, just beautiful, simple, lentil-based, uh, very basic spicing. Then you've got your, your, um, your street food. So that's the really snappy food. It's the grilled food. And people perceive Indian food to be really heavy and rich. It's simply not. It's absolutely beautiful. Mm. It's a cuisine in its own right. And, it, you know, kebabs come from India. Yes, they come from all over the Middle East. But really fast grilled food. But it's the Maharaja's palaces. There's someone called the Kansama. So I would, if I want to go off on a tangent, as I probably am doing, I would like call myself a modern-time consumer. Yeah. So a consumer, basically, he, ha- he was the, the head chef of a palace. And clearly, palace implies wealth. So these guys can actually buy spices from all over India, as opposed to just their region. Yeah. So the moguls, you'll have heard of dishes mm. like Badan Pasanda or Korma, you may know. Which is where the term mogul comes from. Well, there you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as in music mogul. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, do you know, so the Kansamas were the ones that were the, the first innovators in India in the 17th, sort of 18th century, um, are coming up with different flavours and combining the Rog and Joshes and the Kormas, making those dishes that have translated well over in the West. So those dishes from home in the street didn't come over. The street is just starting to come over now. But it's all the rog and joshes, the biryanis, the kormas, all the really rich dishes, which clearly, if an Indian ate every day, it would be the size of a house, right? Yeah. But, um, so, but those are the ones that are translated over here, um, first yeah. of all. So, in, uh, so as, uh, in Kilkenny, when are you going to be appearing? Yeah, no, fantastic. This is all down to the Savour that I'm here as well for introducing me mm. to you. So Savour is just phenomenal. I did Savour Festival back in 2011 in the first time. I'm on uh, 5.15 tomorrow on the market stage. There's two stages this time. Yeah, okay. So, no, um, Save a it's a fantastic festival. Okay, hopefully you, uh, you sell out the market stage Thank tomorrow. You. Aaron Capel, everybody. Thanks, Thanks very much. Aaron. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm. With Anna Glaze. On News Talk.